0: That is so awesome. And I'm going to tell you right now, they're going to be talking about it in Children's Church. So we're already going to, we're already going to get a hold of your kids' minds. So they're going to come out out of Children's Church and they're going to be like, So, Mommy and Daddy, can we go get our, our child? So um, just want to let you know that that will be happening as well. But we are glad to see you today. And we've been talking about persons of interest. And we kind of went back to rediscover what Jesus was all about, what the cross is all about. And and, and up to this point, we've discovered that the, the I am who I am, the great God of heaven, came to earth, died on the cross, and rose again so that you and I can, can have new life, that we're no longer just derivative of our culture or our families or of our experiences, but we are now derivative of God, sons and daughters of the living God, and he offers us This incredible new life. We become persons of interest because Jesus was a person of interest. We are born again not to have a life derived from my mistakes or my failures or the rut that I'm in, but rather to have a life derived from God himself, from heaven itself, from the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But what we're going to look at today is another person of interest. And this person of interest is um, we need to be aware of because... This person of interest does not want you to go through with this journey and to run this race. This person of interest wants to trip you up and and will always be in opposition to what you're trying to accomplish and what God wants you to accomplish. This person of interest does not want you to finish what God has started. Um, Most of us may not be aware of it, but uh, Monday was the 127th running of the Boston Marathon, and thirty thousand people and, uh, showed up for that, and you had to be qualified. It's not one of those races you can just decide you're going to get up and go do. You? you have to actually, based upon your age, you have to run a, another marathon that qualifies you for this particular marathon. And thirty thousand people ran the twenty-six point two miles, um, and then a guy named uh, Evan Kavet from Kenya won the race in like two oh five and. It had an amazing race. But also people realize that this is the somber 10th year anniversary of the bomb attack by the Tsarnaev brothers that killed three people and wounded 280 others. Two homemade bombs were uh, detonated about 200 yards from each other and about 14 seconds apart. As a result of that, event in the middle of this race. Boston officials were not looking for the winner. They were looking for suspects. And a lot of us remember some of the images that began to pop up in CNN and Fox News. And, and we started getting glimpses of persons of interest. Uh, the, the, the turned backwards ball cap, the knapsacks, the two brothers walking around together. And we remember the all, the, all these different images. The one brother got shot in a shootout with the police. Then the other brother got away for a while, but he was captured hiding in a boat in somebody's backyard. If you remember how that all played out. But they became persons of interest because they uh, not only killed innocent lives, they not only wounded countless others, or uh, many others, but they also interrupted this incredible race that was taking place. And when I looked at this story and was reminded of it on Monday of the events that took place, we need to identify this person of interest that's looking to interrupt what God's doing in our lives, that's wanting to sabotage the race that we have been called to because we have all have been called to a race. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4 says it this way. He says, I implore you you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you were called and with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. We are all called to walk in mercy, compassion, and truth. We were called by mercy and compassion and truth. We are called to walk in mercy, compassion, and truth. But this call... Is a challenge. The call is uh, to walk in a manner that brings honor to the one that saved us. That's what the call is. It's to walk in a way that brings glory to Jesus and, and just shows the work that he's been doing in our life and brings honor to him. But with every good call, there's always a challenge. And in the middle of this call that we have, there is a challenger to the walk that we have, this race that we're running. And the person of interest that we're going to learn about today, the one that's going to give you the most trouble, the challenger is you. I know you thought I was going to say the devil. You know, I, you probably were already down that, you know, down that road. But you're going to find that the biggest challenger to your walk with God, walking into, into the new life that he's given you, is going to be you. Um, And it's it's not the the you that loves Jesus, but it's the you that wants everything else but Jesus. It's the he or she that wants to walk in a manner that's different than the, the life of Christ. Your old self that wants to sabotage the race that we're in. Let's hear what the Apostle Paul says. He says, so this I say, and I affirm with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk, and he's going to use these really weird phrases that we normally don't use, but we'll, we'll, just, we'll take a look at those. It says that you no longer walk in the futility of the, their mind, as they do, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Because of the hardness of their heart, they have become callous, having given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Now, I know that sounds like a lot. I mean, it's like phrases and words that we normally don't use. But Paul, right off the bat, says, no longer walk in this manner. And I think it's interesting that he uses the phrase no longer. Because a lot of us have this mentality that once you become a Christian, all this stuff goes away. You know, it's like, because you probably have had somebody that knows you're a Christian and you kind of, you know, use the S word or whatever, you know, word that you use when you shouldn't use a word. You probably threw something out there and somebody said to you, like, I thought you were a Christian. You know, I didn't think Christians did that. But one of the interesting things is that Paul writes a letter and he writes a couple letters. And he's telling these, these followers of Jesus that love God, that are running this race, that there are some no longers in your life. Meaning that they are there. You don't have to tell somebody to no longer do something unless they're continuing to do that something. And I, I don't know about you, but that kind of made me feel good a little bit about me because a lot of times I'm feeling like the only one that's being told to no longer because everybody else seems to have it all figured out. Everybody else seems, doesn't have a problem with that. Nobody else uses words like that. Nobody else drives like that. Nobody acts like that. And, and I think it's it's beautiful that he says that no longer. He, he, and he's not talking to like one specific guy. It's not like, hey, tell Jimmy, Jimmy, don't walk like this. I'm sorry, I just went to a Seinfeld episode there for a second. But he said, Jimmy, don't walk like this any longer. No, he writes this letter to all the Ephesians. He writes it to the Colossians. And, um, and he writes it to all these different churches because all of us, have the challenge of the no longer. The things in our lives that are really, that none of us are above this. There's nobody here that is above what Paul is talking about here. And the other thing is when you say no longer do this, that means I have a choice. That means that I'm involved in whether or not this goes on any longer in my life. I have to make a decision about how I'm going to run this race. So let's see if you can find yourself, your, your old man, this, this former life in the middle of the race, in the middle of the crowd. Let's see if you could find yourself in all that language that Paul used, he uses the phrase as the Gentiles. We don't usually use that phrase, but it really just means this, um, following culture that's without God. And so he's telling us, hey, stop arranging your life, structuring your life. And running a race that is following culture. Just because culture's doing it, just because you saw it on TikTok, just because you saw it on Instagram, doesn't mean that you should be doing it or should be involved in it. He says, no longer use culture as your template. Stop looking around and saying, well, that's what men do. Well, then it's okay for this man to do it. This is what women do. Then it's okay for this woman to do it. But rather... Stop walking according to the dictates of our culture around us. Another phrase that he uses, the futility of their minds. I know you don't use that one a lot. I mean, I could see me waking up and telling my wife, honey, you need to stop walking in the futility of your mind. I'd really appreciate if you get the, you know, the grandkids to stop walking in the futility of their minds. What it is is this it's living in vanity. It's like, oh, there I am in the crowd. Okay, now you got me. Living in vanity. Lacking real purpose and meaning. It's okay to own stuff and to do stuff and go on trips and all the other stuff. But sometimes that's all that matters to us. The house, the Volvo, the puppy, you know, that's all that matters to us. Is those. The, the, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I, it caught me in a lap there because there is somebody on our team that just... I got a house, a Volvo, and a puppy, and I told them I was going to throw a little dig in there just, just out of fun. So let's give a shout out to Josh and Chaplin in the back. Yeah, there they go. New puppy people right there. No, I just did that for fun. Uh, it's like, I don't want to have fun with my life. But this idea that all our life is around this futility it doesn't have any meaning. It doesn't have any real substance to it. Doesn't have any purpose to it, you know. I can be found in that crowd. How about the word callous? Um, it means ceasing to care about what's right or wrong. Oh my goodness! I cannot believe the the gray area that's kind of like opened up in the middle of most of our lives. You know, where we got uh, God stuff over here, and then we're not supposed to worship the devil. Okay, and, and that's over here. And we have in our minds that's like golden calves and walked around with horns or something like that and wearing, you know, red on your face. I don't know what that would look like. But then we inhabit this other area here. Me and Susan last night were looking for a new show. You know, I've watched as much Star Trek Rebels as I can, folks. I'm, uh, Star Wars, yeah, see, that's what's all kind of blended together there in my mind. You know, and, and so we were looking at a new show, and, and we're kind of into period stuff. We like like the old English Viking stuff. So we were going through, and we were looking at, uh, uh, I, I don't know what the names of the shows were, and, but you know on Netflix, all of a sudden, you pulled the the remote down, and all of a sudden, it starts up in the play, and it's like, oh, this looks really interesting. So we'll take the next step. We'll click on that, and then we'll look up the a b- bunch. It'll say sex, nudity, violence, uh, beheading, um uh, uh, I don't know all kinds of things. Volvo, puppy. we will say all of it. I'll say it all of it at the top, and and they'll be like, "We can't watch this." It's like, how much nudity and sex are we gonna are we gonna tolerate? It's like, well, you know, it's not devil worship. We know it's not God, but it's that place in the middle. It's the callous place where we just allow stuff to just kind of. Blah. How about the callousness of unforgiveness? Where well, we don't forgive each other anymore. Are you in that crowd? Did you see yourself in, that, in the middle of your race that you're in that crowd, that that's the saboteur for your life? Is this, I'm just not going to forgive? Or do we just get lazy about our marriages? Callous in it. We don't say good morning anymore and give that familiar kiss and make, get up a little early, make the coffee for the other person and, and then um, spend that time doing a little bit of a devotion together or greeting them at the door when they come home or or whatever it may be, we grow callous in things about giving themselves over, and I love this phrase, the greed of feeling good. The greed of feeling good. I don't think the Apostle Paul left anybody here off this list. I see me in this crowd. See, because the greed of feeling good um, is... You just don't want to feel good, but you want all the feel-good, and you want all the feel-good all the time. I don't want to hurt. You know, um, I, don't want to, I don't want to do physical therapy. I want an injection, okay? You know, I, I, I want somebody to adjust me, but I don't want to have to adjust myself. Um, I want a procedure, and that's the way we are in America, We're especially boomers. We want procedures. I want you to go ahead and do that fusion on the lower back so I can get back and play in golf again and do the things that I want. I want to feel good all the time. And in my life, I can get very greedy about feeling good. What's our next meal? What's our next TV show? Let's binge this. Let's go find a feel good. And I don't want to be around anybody that's going to take away my feel good. We live in a culture that's making laws that if you say something or don't call me what I want you to call me and you make me not feel good about myself, we're going to call it a hate crime because we are all about the greed of feeling good all the time. Sometimes callously, I don't want to forgive. Sometimes with futility, I reach out to different things to try to make my life better like the way that I used to do. There's a part of me that will disrupt this whole walk in new life. It's me. I'm not saying the devil doesn't exist. He does. He's a person of interest, but he can only work with with what you give him. You know, I mean, so really the issue is with me. It's this, this old person in me. Paul said it this way. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught to him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God and has been created in righteousness and, and holiness of the truth. So Paul talks about this person of interest that causes us our problems, the old self. See, every Christian has an issue with this. That's what I love about it. That's why I can share with you my weirdness a little bit, the kind of like stupid things that I do and the problems that I have and all that is because I know this letter was written to every single one of us. I know every single one of us have an old self. I know every one of us struggle with, with ourselves, we wrestle with ourselves, we have an old self that tracks right along with us every single day, now it, I, I, it, it, part of it is learned behavior, part of it is uh, inherent in who we are as human beings, uh, it, it could be partly gema- uh, genetically transferred, it can be ideas that we have bought into and have become part of the meat of who we are or the mind Of who we are. Um, It's called, matter of fact, the apostle says that this person is so much alive, it's a self. It's you. It's as much as you as a you can be. I mean, it really is. It's this mannerism, this inherent way that we live our lives. That's why Paul calls it your old self or the old man or the flesh. Because as a Christian, you are not only you, there's also a new you. The greater you that's being renewed day by day in the image and the likeness of Christ. Everyone here today is dealing with this. I don't care if you speak in tongues. I don't care if you glow in the dark. I don't care if you walk on your bathwater. Every single person here. Has a saboteur in their lives that wants to undermine the race and the calling of God to live with compassion and mercy and truth in their lives. I like the way the Apostle Peter puts it. I think he's a little bit more concise, but he echoes the exact same thing. And and this kind of blew my mind when I saw this. Peter says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former passions which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who is called, you be holy yourselves, and also in your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. You're derived from God, will then be like God. But he uses this phrase, former. And the actual Greek word turned my head, because it means the first of two. The first of two. We live with these passions. The first of the two is your old self. The second of the two is the calling in Christ, the new person in Christ. And we live struggling against the first of two. Every Christian has these two. I don't care what you say. Do you blue in your face? You can tell me, no, Paul, I don't have that. It's like, no, you, he says, no longer walk according to the first of the two. Why is he telling you no longer to do it? Because you can do it. And you do do it. But he says you're a person now that is, um, has a first of two passions. The second passion is the new creation in Christ. Likewise, if you're not a Christian, um, you have what I call the first and the only. That's all you've got. You don't have a conflict of the first and the second passions because you don't have the second passion. You have the first and the only. And I, and I was thinking this through, and it's like, well, th- is this what I experienced? And I remember when I was young, I was a sailor, I was, um, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll, the whole thing that comes with, with uh, ahoy there, uh, you know, that's that whole thing, I was involved in it all. And you know what, I never had a problem with it. The more women you sleep around with, the more successful you were. You know, the, the catching a buzz, getting drunk, having fun, raising a little bit of trouble, little, raising a little bit of cane, having a, a good time, to, I. You know what? I never had a problem with it. Never had a problem with it because it was the first and only. Um, It was the only passion I had. But it's interesting that, and, and I talk to guys about this a lot, is that when I gave my life to Christ, all of a sudden I'm having problems with stuff. And you might even think it was better not to have become a Christian because you wouldn't have had a problem with it. But it's really how it happens. You have this first passion, first and only. So you're really just going along. I don't see what problem it is. As long as I don't hurt anybody, I don't care what anybody else thinks. As long as I can do whatever I want to do, you know, it's my thing. Leave me alone. It's my civil liberties. It's going along. And all of a sudden, you get born again. And all of a sudden, you're like, ooh, now I have a problem with that. Okay, all of a sudden, it's like, okay, now it's like porn. When I was a sailor, I haven't met a sailor yet that's had a problem with porn. Okay, and I mean a problem looking at it. I mean, because if you don't have Christ in your life, you only have the first and only. It's like, why feel bad about it? Just, you know, I, and, but as soon as you give your life to Christ, all of a sudden, you know, the things that were in your first and only, now your second passion begins to ping you about those things. Well, I heard you talking about her the other day. I heard you bad-mouthing him the other day. I You know, jealousy all of a sudden becomes a problem. You know, um, before it was just the pursuit of happiness. Now it's like things that didn't give you a problem, now you have a problem with it because you have a second passion. And so what Paul is telling us is like, don't listen to the first passion. That is just your human drive mechanism. Don't be a person driven purely by your human drive, but rather allow yourself to be driven by the passion of Christ in your life by the power of the Holy Spirit and the new man in your life. Every single one of us have to deal with this. Problem is not all of us are not all of us are concerned about this. You know? Um, But what I do find is that most of you think you're the only one. You think you're the only person, you're the only Christian that's screwing up. You're the only Christian that has a problem with stuff. I'm telling you what, when you come to Jesus, you not only get new life, you not only get heaven, you not only get eternal, uh, eternal life, you also get the gift of having problems with stuff. Because God all of a sudden begins to reveal the things in your life that don't need to be there. So Paul says, walk no longer. Or he uses another phrase, lay it aside. Peter says, do not be conformed. What they all have in common is that they are all commands and they are all choices and you're the one that has to make them. God will not do this for you. You know, God don't make me walk any longer that way. It's like, no, you choose to no longer walk that way. You lay it aside. You don't be conformed to that any longer in your life. We're the ones that are blowing up our own race. We're blowing up our own walk and relationship with God. I resonate with Peter's uh, phrase a little bit more because I think I, I, tend to, um, I tend to be a little bit of um, an existentialist or, uh, and I tend to think this way. But he says, do not be conformed to the former. And I think about flow when a word like conform, it's kind of like, What do I wrap my mind around? See, I don't think linearly. I don't think mathematically, like I do a process, then I do a process, then I do a process. I actually have to learn that. That's not my way. I'm the kind of person who wraps his mind around something. I'm not just looking at the times table and just like, okay, uh, two times two, I memorize that, uh, then all the fives, all the nines, and all the twelves, and all this stuff. No, I'm like, okay, wait a minute, who came up with the times table? And how do we know this is true? Wait a minute, so, so I can, a derivative is a point on a curve on a line from calculus, and if you do the delta of y and x and all this other stuff, and I was like, yeah, but who came up with y? You know, and my mind, and, but I can wrap myself around things. And Peter's saying, what, what are you wrapping your mind around? What is the shape of your mind? And what is it shaping itself to? What is it conforming itself to? What feelings do you wrap your mind around? What approval do you wrap your mind around? How about this? What offense has been done to you? What victimization, what crime, what evil has been done to you, your old man, that you've wrapped your mind around? You can't think anything else other than the evil that's been done to you. That's part of the old man also. And you allow your mind to just be wrapped around that. Um, like I've said it before, my biggest struggle is I'm not having an affair. I'm not smoking weed. I don't drink, except for maybe a holiday or something like that, just a little glass of wine. Just a little, okay? Just a little. Uh, just a little glass of wine. Um, but that doesn't make me good or, but I'll tell you where my struggle is, my mind is wrapped around 18-year-old Paul. You know, how fast he could run, how much he could lift, you know, that mullet I had. I'm Come on, don't make fun of the mullet until you've had one. They're amazing, all right? I was in that whole achy-breaky heart. See, my mind was wrapped. I'm wrapped right around that. All about the ladies, all about the things I used to do, the carefree life and all that. And some of us, and if you're like my age, you have wrapped your mind around your younger you. And that's why you hate being old. It's because you're, the only good life that you can think of is the one that's wrapped around the old you. And we do it. We wrap around, our minds around this, this younger or old man. So let me ask you, what is your mind still wrapped around? What is it that God doesn't want you walking in any longer? Is your mind wrapped around a relationship that makes you feel good? You know, but is that relationship honoring to God? You know, but you're wrapped around that. Um, What do you need to lay aside? What is it that God's talking to that's like, yeah, I really need to let that go? Or um, are you still distracted by the younger you? Are you still wrapped around that? Or... uh, something that was done to you in the past? Have you wrapped your life around it? Uh, And it still holds you. God knows this about every person that's in this room today. He knows every single one of us have an old self that's sitting in the same chair your new self is sitting in right now. And he knows that that old woman... I get scared even saying that out loud. And that old man, but we're going to go with equality. uh, That old woman and that old man are ready to blow up your race. Ready to jump back into an old habit. Ready to respond in an old-fashioned kind of way. The way that you used to respond. But God knows it. And we've got to get honest about it. Paul said this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, we have to invite the Holy Spirit into our lives every single day. So every single day, I fight for my marriage. Say, like, why? Is there somebody hitting on Susan? I don't know. If, if they are, she's not noticing. Uh, I mean, she's so cool, she wouldn't even notice it. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, but I have to fight. Why? Because the old man's still in that marriage. It's Like every single day, I, I, I have to invite the Holy Spirit because the old man approaches fears and anxieties the exact same way. The old man is still there. Every single day, I have to invite the Holy Spirit. And, the, and then God, through his spirit, shows me, like, dude, you need to lay that down. You need to uh, put that aside. You need to walk in a new way. You need to stop wrapping your life around that man. There are songs that I listen to on Spotify that you could probably listen to. It would be fine, you know. But there, there's a song by God. Journey that will come on, or Foreigner, or, uh, I don't know, uh, Brian Adams, well, boy, no, not really, not Brian Adams. But there may be some song that will come up, and I'll tell you what, all of a sudden it takes me back to that place. Why? Because that song, I am wrapped around that. So I have to choose, you know, either you unwrap from that song, or you stop listening to that song. And so there are, there are bands that I don't listen to, Because it induces me to that wrapping around a moment in the past. Maybe there's something that God wants you to unwrap from. See, grace is a gift. But experiencing a new life is a choice. It really is. Grace is a gift. But whether or not you're going to experience thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that's all you. That's all you deciding whether or not you're going to lay aside the old life and whether or not you're going to choose to put on the new life through the spirit of God, through the mind of Christ, through the word of God. You make that choice. That's why some of us here, and I'm not, I have an amazing marriage. I could screw it up tomorrow. I mean, I could, knowing me, I could screw it up by the end of the day. You know, but I choose to have a great marriage. Susan chooses every day to walk in new life with the Spirit of God so that we experience new life in our marriage. But I know for every one of me, there's 10 other people here. Oh yeah, you're saved, you're Christian, you're married, you haven't cheated, or maybe you have. But you know, a homemade bomb blew up your journey. It's not what it was. And it's just... It's become callous, futile, it's lacking love, it's lacking passion. You know, you make choices to keep passion in a marriage, to keep life um, in a relationship. And then, and and here's the other thing I believe like Paul's saying, is that you're going to have to fall out of love with the old Jew. You're going to have to fall out of love with the old Jew. In our culture, we're all being told to love ourselves. We're all, we're all being told to focus on ourselves, to embrace ourselves and all that. And I get that. And there's some, I understand the, the concept of dignity that's buried in that. But you know what? I need to fall out of, out of love with my old self. You know, because you, you can see sometimes I'll start, oh, man, yeah, I remember when, oh, yeah, we were smoking weed and we were... We were on our motorcycles and, man, we do some lines of cocaine, you know, and you'd all of a sudden see my eyes begin to twinkle. You know, like, this dude really misses this. And it's like, and I'll be like, oh, you're right. You're right. I'm still wrapped, aren't I? Yeah, I'm still wrapped around it. There's a point when you got to fall out of love with the old you. And I know that sounds crazy, but interesting little fact. The Boston bomber was put in prison. He's supposed to be, uh, it's interesting, in the state of Massachusetts, he was uh, declared uh, that he was supposed to be executed, but they're staying his execution, staying his execution, staying his execution. He's still alive. He collected a check for COVID, uh, for benefits for COVID. he collected a check from the U.S. government while he said, we're not going to kill him, we're not going to kill him, we're not going to kill him. He killed those. So I'm not getting into... uh, you know, capital punishment issue here. But the old man is still alive. The kid is still alive. But uh, Rolling Stones magazine decided, like a bunch of idiots, please excuse me, no, don't excuse me, like a bunch of idiots, they decided right after the bombing to put the younger, he's a good-looking fellow, they put his picture on the, the cover of Rolling Stones. They didn't didn't show his picture with the blood of the eight-year-old boy on his hands. They didn't show him standing with the wounded, the police officer's body that got shot. They had his hair perfect, his face airbrushed. And guess what? Women in the United States began to send love letters to the prison because they were so infatuated with the bomber. When I looked at that, and I was like, that's crazy. It's like, oh, really? That's crazy? Um, How about you? You're infatuated with the guy that used to blow up your life. You still have love letters going to that old life of yours. You're still keeping that guy alive when he should have been executed a long time ago. See, it's time for us to walk away from you. The first you. The callous you. The unforgiving you. The greedy you the feel-good you. God is calling us to walk away from that. And I know he'll be there in the crowd. He may show up at mile marker 5. He may be at mile marker 11. He may be standing there near the finish line. There will always be the old man or the old woman that will be there to try to sabotage the race. But if we fix our eyes on the author and the finisher of our race If we ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to fill us if we get in community of people that are following after the new man that's why it's it's hard sometimes to hang out with old friends you know old guy buddies that still want to chase the ladies it's kind of hard kind of hard to hang with the guys that want to run the streets when you rather want the streets of heaven to be in your own personal life. Grace has saved you to fall in love with the one who is making all things new. Not so that you can be in love with your old self. Most of us don't know Lalisa De Sisa. Most of us have never heard that name before. He was the winner of the Boston Marathon the year of the bombing. Um, people forgot that there, there was a winner. You know, People forgot. They weren't interested in the trophy presentation, there wasn't a big um, spaghetti dinner afterwards and everybody got together down, you know, uh, in, in Haymarket Square or whatever and, and partied on and all that. No, all that was, that was gone. There was a winner. But there wasn't the celebration about the race. And for every one of us who are in Christ, there is a winner. We are seated with God in the heavenly. We are children of the living God. But for a lot of us, we've blown up so much stuff in our lives. There's no after race party. We, I mean, it's it's kind of like everybody's forgotten about the winner. We're so entangled with our anger, with hating our mother-in-law or being jealous of people at work or hating white people or black people or we're so entangled in our feel good that in the middle of it, we forgot, you know, there's a winner here, right? But we're blowing it up. We're blowing up our marriages. We're blowing up our parenting. In Christ, we are all new creations. But the old man and woman can mar our lives and the memory of our victory unless we choose otherwise. So Jesus is here. Not only in spirit, but also in remembrance. We are giving you communion. I've run a lot of races in my life. That was my thing. And someplace about the three-mile mark, They'll have little cups of water along the side of the road, and there'll be somebody that will lean out and try to give you a cup of water. You'll get a little bit of cup of water. They'll just like throw it in your face, or you know. But it, but there'll be this cup of water moment because you're running the race, and then rigor or or fatigue, or dehydration, the, that that will begin to affect you. Your body will begin to affect you. Your man will forget. Will begin to affect your run. So Jesus is here today in spirit and in remembrance, in the body and blood, in the cup and the bread and the cup, and He's kind of holding it out to you, because for some of us, we got fatigue on the race, we got tired. Lactic acid started building up in the joints and in the muscles. You know, we started to lose. We lost control. We we've made mistakes. We failed in our journey. We blew up relationships walked away from God for a time and here God is like, listen in grace, it's not over drink, eat in remembrance of me remember there is a winner and I've invited you to be on the podium with me, don't sabotage the race Father we thank you because today You not only offered us a challenge you reminded us of a choice but you also give us a grace because all of us like sheep have all gone our own way at some time in our lives whether it's through callousness futility the greed of feeling good maybe blew up parts of our lives Lord God you're here to give us the grace, the forgiveness, the mercy and not only that you're here to give us the spirit of God to enlighten us the inner man so that we'll have the power to lay aside, to no longer walk, to do not be conformed any longer that God though everyone here may be someone that has a first of two we no longer have to serve the first we make a choice today to serve you we thank you Father so God today we eat and drink to refresh our souls to remind us that we are in a race and to remind us winner has already been declared and it's Christ in us in us in Christ